By now, you've all heard of Italian Wine Unplugged 2.0, the latest book published by Mama Jumbo Shrimp. It's more than just another wine book. The fully updated second edition was inspired by students of the Vinitali International Academy and painstakingly reviewed and revised by an expert panel of certified Italian wine ambassadors from across the globe. The book also includes an edition by Professore Attilio Scienza, Italy's leading vine geneticist. The benchmark producer's feature is a particularly important aspect of this revised edition. The selection makes it easier for our readers to get their hands on a bottle of wine that truly represents a particular grape or region. To pick up a copy, just head to Amazon.com or visit us at MamaJumboShrimp.com. Welcome to the Italian Wine Podcast. I'm Cynthia Chaplin, and this is Voices. Every Wednesday, I will be sharing conversations with international wine industry professionals, discussing issues in diversity, equity, and inclusion through their personal experiences working in the field of wine. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate our show wherever you get your pods. Hello, this is me, Cynthia Chaplin at Voices, and today I'm so excited to welcome Cecile Park to Voices. Cecile was the first Korean-American female winemaker in Napa, California, and she is the winemaker and owner of Winefornia. Her wines have won numerous prizes at competitions like the San Francisco Chronicle Wine Competition, James Suckling, and Shanghai International Wine Challenge. Her signature wine, Innovatus, was featured at the 2018 Crazy Rich Asian Film premiere and is now the official wine for Orpheum Theater in San Francisco. Cecile is also a breast cancer survivor, and without missing a beat, she is now managing over 80 vineyards in Napa, as well as her own successful business. So we are so grateful to have you here. We know that you're giving us your time, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Hi, Cynthia. Thanks for having me over here. I'm so excited and I am very honored to be here today. It is completely our pleasure and particularly mine since I get to chat with you personally. I love that you always say you grew up in Korea as a typical, quote unquote, Korean girl, but you had big ambitions and you earned a degree in biotechnology engineering at the elite Yonsei University. And then you immigrated to the U.S. and you got involved in wine. So what was it like for you growing up in Korea, pushing against you know, a big tide of tradition where women didn't have this kind of ambition? Well, you said it right, actually. You know, um, I didn't really think I had a big ambition for my uh, career or life. But, you know, I am the third generation of Korean War. So we were pretty poor, and then we didn't have uh, much opportunity to do pursue a career, especially as a woman and a girl. And I thought, you know, I I want to have uh, some profession, um, but for that, uh, maybe you know, I I've been thinking about uh, what uh, kind of career I can get, but um, I didn't know what is available actually. So. Just uh, thinking of uh, being more professional, um, I thought having an engineering degree might give an uh, opportunity to explore a little bit better in the position that I can be uh, pursuing 
uh, career in later life. So I decided to study engineering, and then I got that degree. <laughs> that's uh, that's how I got it. Well, it's so interesting, you know, that what you just said. I didn't know what was available. You know, it's it's um, interesting. I think to a lot of our listeners to connect with somebody who came from a different culture as a young woman. You know, I'm much older than you, and you know, when you were, are you, <laughs> you sound very young, <laughs> almost like a little, little girl, like very friendly girl. <laughs> you won't say how old I am, but it's, it's interesting about that, that concept of not knowing what's available in other cultures. And I think a lot of our listeners are American and, you know, European and British and Canadian and Australian, and they don't really you know, remember often that there are a lot of cultures where still women don't have that opportunity to really think about what is available. So the fact that you went after, you know, a biotech um, degree, that's not something that women did. Right. So biotech, um, actually, the uh, Yonsei University that uh, that I went um, the biotech engineering was initially was a food and biotech. So um, when I was choosing the major um, in engineering, um, I thought at least, you know, food is a little bit closer to women's profession or women's area. So that's why I chose uh, food and biotech. And then they changed the um, major, um, the name of the major um, from food and bio to biotech engineering. So I ended up you know, graduating biotech engineering, <laughs> which is it's kind of like a, a happy accident that this. So I have four daughters, which people. Wow. <laughs> lucky you. <laughs> yes. Very lucky me. Uh, <laughs> it, it's that idea of food is close to women. And it's funny because so many of the major famous chefs in the world are men. But I think in daily lives, food is close to women. And it was a way to stick with a culture, but find a degree that nobody could argue with you about. <laughs> That's very interesting. I like that story. Yeah. I, yeah. Food and food and bio there. Um, I mean, it's really close to our daily life, but at the same time, it's more academic. So uh, engineering side, which is a lot, you know, uh, a lot different from uh, the cooking and nutrients. It's more like a uh, uh, you know, biotherm, you know, um, that's, uh, uh, that's, that's very like, uh, chemistry. And then, you know, it's even more like, uh, you know, biology and then, um, biology plus chemistry. Uh, and mathematics and other things. Right. So you ended up moving to the States in t 2001. What, what prompted that move? And, you know, what was it like for you moving to the States? You were far from home and dealing with a completely different culture and I think probably fearful and free at the same time. How did that work for you? Uh, yeah, it was, I didn't really plan um, to stay here for this long, but I had a round trip ticket to come to United States. But uh, when I was planning to come, you know, I my first job, I have to tell you about my first job. My first job was a, a marketing product manager at coffee company. Um, I, I, you know, I've been 
thinking about being uh, more proficient in science field as engineer, um, my first job was a little bit shifted uh, from my uh, original thought and plan. Um, the company, coffee company, uh, you know, hired me as a product manager in the marketing side because I have a science background. I'm a woman who understand the coffee products. So they kind of choose me as a, uh, the very first uh, female product manager in the marketing side. They're kind of experimenting. They're, you know, in their uh, like half, uh, half a century history, they never had any women marketing manager. So I was the very first one. This was a very important company. So let's just say who it was. It's a craft, you know, Maxwell House company, but it was, yeah. In Korea division, yes. This was a big company and it was a big deal for you to be the first female. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I mean, like when they hired me, I said, oh my God, I don't know anything about the marketing and business side. Please, please move me to the, uh, you know, uh, research center or the production side because I, I don't know anything about it. But the company said, why don't you try? We'll provide, uh, you know, education and everything. So I became the first product manager at the company, and then and then I uh, I I worked for um three years at the company as a product manager, but I didn't really see myself uh with this marketing side for long, because I always my my you know sincere um. The desire was more toward to the production still and the uh, uh, the science side. So, uh, but it was kind of like I was confused. Like, where should I go with this career path? So, should I get a MBA degree to pursue this side uh, as a more professional uh, professional uh, way, or uh, should I go back to the science side? So that's that's how I. Uh, went to the United States, think about, you know, marketing the MBA program or whatever. So that's how I got, uh, how I uh, came to the United States, 2001. It's, it's super risky. You know, you, you yeah, super risky. You came, you know, doing something for, you know, Kraft and Maxwell, uh, you know, coffee, you know, things that weren't exactly what you wanted to do. You wanted to do production in science, as you just said. It's, you know, coming to the States at that time must have been incredibly difficult. And at some point, you got into the wine industry as a lab technician at Napa Wine Company, and you went on to get another degree in viticulture and enology. You know, how on earth did you get involved with wine? So I, when I came to the United States, um, I, for the first time in my life, I, I taste wine. So I, I was surprised to find this amazing juice that <laughs> makes me happy and make me curious. <laughs> So I I fell in love with wine and um I just liked it so much and not just um liking it there uh, I was curious about the production side it's behind the taste so um I was thinking you know maybe you know I around that time you know Korea um the wine market is slowly growing. 
Um, so I thought, you know, if I if I go back to this, you know, wine maybe production side, I can make it to work somehow to live. You know, it's a work and life together. So um, I I decided to give it a try to start working as a lab technician at Napa White Company, um, and uh, see if um, you know if there is any chance for me to um, continue and then maybe find my you know like a career back in the science uh, and production size. So that's how I got into uh, the wine. And then uh, I worked at Napa Wine Company. Napa Wine Company is, uh, um, you know, one of the oldest uh, co-op place for um, various winemakers. There, there were Heidi Bear was making wine there, Rob Lawson, and um, yeah, Aaron Pot, and there are many, many winemakers were making wine at the uh, at the winery at Napa Wine Company, and I. <laughs> I found that, you know, the winery system, you don't really have to own the facility, winery, and then you don't have to own the vineyard. So it was very, uh, you know, surprising to see uh, that you actually uh, can, can become a winemaker without owning the place. So that's how I started uh, my career in winemaking, um, by learning about the system in Napa. So I started making wine from 2007, and then later on, I went to UC Davis 2012, I think. Yeah. And yeah, it's interesting. The, that, that's such a big part of what I think a lot of people don't understand. Becoming a winemaker in in a lot of countries but particularly the u.s you don't have to own the vineyard you can buy in grapes you can experiment you can do a lot of winemaking without having your own vineyard um and as you said you know you you got a degree in viniculture and enology from uc davis uh, and that was sort of a whole decade of your life you know what were the challenges like for you? you? You were one of very few female minority winemakers in California at that time. It was 10 years ago, if not more. Uh, and you you have excelled and um, kind of broken a lot of barriers, plus your own mental barriers from you know your childhood in Korea. It's interesting how you got to where you are. What was that like for you? Uh, it's uh, more like it's um, struggling, inner struggling is the most challenging part for me. Um, I mean, I know, um, I mean, I had, I have known anybody in the industry. I have no background basically in the wine country, in the U.S. So uh, my language uh, was still uh, back. I mean, still I'm learning English. <laughs> English is way better than my Italian, so don't worry. <laughs> so I didn't speak the language in the industry either. So uh, although I kind of, uh, you know, got to start my career in the industry, but um, my uh, confidence level was really low. So I was insecure on 
every aspect of winemaking, every aspect of uh, communication. So I was just like super, super shy and uh, introvert in the industry, just doing whatever I could do and then just come home and then hide myself, basically. <laughs> and um, that was a biggest hurdle uh, throughout uh, my career until, uh, you know, 10 years of uh, winemaking uh, of my career. And um, so the reason, I mean, I was now, you know, like uh, I was able to make a wine, but at the same time, I wanted to uh, uh, communicate with other, but I really needed to know the, uh, the exact meaning of uh, each vocabulary where the industry people are talking about. So um, that's why I went to the UC Davis to, to pick up the vocabulary and then uh, gradually uh, fit in um, the, um, the network of the industry. Um, so um, that was kind of the most biggest challenge that uh, you know, I had. I mean, internal uh, struggling or insecurity was the big thing, but the outer, obviously, it's a, you know, like outer uh, challenges are pretty much a common thing that, you know, you, you're a small producer, you're female, and then small producer, you really didn't have a chance to uh, get their time or, you know, attention on, their, on your production. So it's very challenging to have uh, any vendor to work for you, you have to really work it hard to get a time slot, um, you know, to make it work. And also female, I, I think of, of being female is, a, a, you know, same thing. You didn't really get the attention to, to make it your um, production going uh, by, you know, by Lou or whatever. I mean, there is a, some kind of, I don't, uh, I think it's more, manner of uh, speak um, I think that is a way um, as a minority as a female uh, nobody really care about you that's uh, that was a challenge <laughs> well no that's I mean and that's that's so true you know we we laugh about it but it really is so true you know as as a young woman and you know a woman who wasn't American and coming into Napa and coming into California and coming into UC Davis, you know, you had this amazing scientific biotech background, you know, you had all of the education and all of the credentials, but breaking into that is just not that easy. But, you know, and you say, you know, you're, you're super shy. Uh, And it's, I think that's part of um, things that hold us back. So you were studying and you were in California and you were working, doing different things. And in 2007, way before you got your degree from UC Davis, you started Winefornia and you were studying and the business is focused on creating personalized and customized wines. So, okay, super shy. I get it. But what gave you this idea? And, you know, you, you put this business up and going before you even finished your degree. So you've got more confidence than I think you're admitting to, because this is a good business. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I, you know, I 
didn't have any uh, foundation to start with, but I, um, I, I thought I only had an idea that you know I can create some private labeled wine for um, special, um, uh, I mean special occasion. Uh, especially, you know, uh, the corporates that I, uh, known from my previous, uh, work career, they do, they were doing some big event like a PGA, LPGA tournaments. And then, you know, over there, they, they're looking for the, uh, gifting item for, uh, their, uh, VIPs and, you know, the chairman's dinner, uh, things like that. For our listeners who don't know, LPGA and PGA, are the Ladies Pro Golf Association and the Pro Golf Association in the United States, which are yes huge, huge you know businesses for pro golfing competition. Yes, they are. So um you know like so I thought you know I, since I um I know the I mean I know uh, what they need. So it it was more like a needs finding. I knew they're they're looking for something special. And then uh, I was in the industry that, you know, I, I, I wasn't ready for my own label yet. So I thought, you know, maybe I could do something with that, you know, as a, um, as a winemaker um, who can create a private labeled wine for a special occasion. So Winefonia, uh, when I first started, I say it is uh, your own wine from California. So that was Winefornia that, um, you know, I can create something for your, your own special occasion. That was uh, the idea that I couldn't start uh, and then build my production career and also, uh, you know, develop my skills to uh, make a wine as well. Well, it's amazing what you've managed to accomplish because, you know, as I said, Winefornia started in 2007 and you did wines for the LPGA and the PGA and you started taking on private clients and corporate clients and making individual wines. And you've ended up cultivating this incredible reputation as an award-winning winemaker, a viticulturist, a wine negociant, and you're widely regarded as one of the most creative winemakers in Napa. You've said that you're determined to make wines that heal and restore and connect us to the land and the vines and to each other. So I just want to ask you, you know, about your philosophy for winemaking. What inspires your creativity and what sets your wines apart? Are you enjoying this podcast? Don't forget to visit our YouTube channel, Mama Jumbo Shrimp, for fascinating videos covering Stevie Kim and her travels across Italy and beyond, meeting winemakers, eating local foods, and taking in the scenery. Now, back to the show. So I think that I, uh, you know, I I should share some of my personal story. Um, so I was very, you know, um, I I was uh, I I came from uh, Korea, and then I was kind of like focused on, you know, just keeping my ground, uh, feet grounded in the industry with whatever I could do. So I've been working so hard, and then I I if when I found something you know, needed or, you know, opportunity, I was going to just take on, do, and then do my best. 
to to accomplish or to com- complete the uh, the project. So I've been working really hard, um, and then I found this, you know, uh, a problem internally. Uh, it was a physical problem, and I I, I got diagnosed it, uh, with uh, breast cancer stage three. And then I didn't realize until then I uh, how much I wasn't thinking about the meaning of life or uh, my happiness or uh, my family and then my community. So um, it was a 2000, early 2019, not long ago, but, um, you know, uh, I completely stopped my, um, uh, you know, working lifestyle uh, for a year and then I didn't drive anywhere. So I walk everywhere or take the public transportation everywhere. And I just been thinking about my life again and again and see you know, what's, what was more meaningful for me to do in my life and future. And, um, and then so far, I mean, I realized the wine was a very important piece still, because um, it gave me a lot of opportunity to uh, explore more um, internally, and then uh, more also in every aspect, like economies, and then, you know, philosophy, and then culture, and art, and all. And I wasn't really, um, you know, able, I wasn't able to really enjoy or feel it. It was just more like going, moving forward and forward and forward. So I stopped on hold and then I, I thought wine uh, is meaningful for me because it, it is a connection to, um, uh, to healing and then just you know opening and then um kind of finding finding yourself so that was um you know there was of the philosophy uh behind <laughs> about the wine for me it's so interesting i i love that story and um, and i'm so glad you're well first of all um after your cancer diagnosis but it's it's interesting how wines that touch you um, I'm not a winemaker, but um, I do seek out wines that touch me in an emotional way and give me a visceral response. And they do have the the potential to take you out of yourself, uh, especially when you're telling the story to others like you are today. And I'm really glad that you're sharing this with us because it's so important for people to hear you know, how much being part of the land, being part of wine, being part of that creation, the chemistry, you know, your background is chemistry. And I'll even say alchemy um, is so crucial to the experience of, of what people have in their glass ultimately. And you you launched your signature wine before your diagnosis, you know, Innovatus was launched in 2014. And, you know, it's it's been talked about so much. And People have said that that is your soul in a bottle of wine. So tell us a little bit about Innovatus. Yeah, I call it Innovatus, but um, um, the the wine um, I launched 2014, and uh, that time I, you know, the name of Innovatus is uh, Napa's Entrepreneur Spirit. Um, you know that reflects of my you know i mean the napa culture because napa wasn't the original wine you know uh wine region 
uh, compared to, you know, Italy and France and other old European countries. But, you know, Napa's entrepreneur spirit really developed uh, uh, Napa as, as they are right now, as it is now. They're uh, really now, a, a, you know, top, uh, top quality uh, wine producer. Um, and that in order to do that, they really pour their heart and soul and then, you know, sweat. So I thought that's uh, very uh, inspirational. And also at the same time as an immigrant, um, I came here and then I, I pour in my perspective and then my endeavor to um, just, you know, uh, try uh, something different and then something you know, unique about it, and then make it a uh, contribution to the uh, Napa, uh, Napa as well. So um, that is the soul of uh, Innovatus, and um, and yeah, I since then I've been you know grooming and then growing <laughs> along with the Innovatus label of my own. I'm so happy. Innovatus is is inspirational and i think it's important for for people to hear so what's the blend first of all let's hear yeah so uh, the the cuvee the red blend has a very interesting blend so uh, it is a pinot and then syrah you know on the uh, grape spectrum you know uh, syrah is a, a thicker side it's a lot uh, bigger grapes and darker skin and then you know, and then the Pinot, the other side, it's a very thin skin, small cluster, and then, you know, it's a very delicate grape. So when you combine these two grapes together, you created something very exotic, you know, nuanced to it. And then also at the same time, it's a balance too. So I was a super surprised that oh, this combination actually uh, can do well. And nobody has done it. And, you know, as an outsider of the wine country, I, I dare to try something different. <laughs> so that's how it sounds like it represents you exotic and balanced. I really like that. I think that's so nice. And Pino and Syrah in California, as you said, that's really not a, a traditional or a normal or, a you know, very accessible blend. So I, I love what you're doing with that. And I love what it means to you. So, you know, these days you're managing, you know, 80 vineyards in Napa and Winefornia has become a huge community of vintners and you're crazy busy and you've had a life-threatening illness. Um, so at the moment, how are you holding this all together? You know, between a demanding career and a family and your health and your philosophy of making an exotic and a balanced wine and also wines for your clients, which are very bespoke. What, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What, what's making you feel creative? So creativeness, um, it's, I think, uh, you know, it really, I mean, it's, uh, it's just a daily life. Um, two things are uh, very beneficial and very helpful for me to go this life. <laughs> um, you know, one is, uh, yeah, meditation or um, writing journal. I mean, I, I wake up in the morning and I, I try not to watch any screen and um, I focus on uh, my thought or my uh, my vision uh, in the morning for, you know, half an hour. It's a short time, but it's really helpful. 
and then um just you know and then after that i i planned for the day or for for a week um and also i uh drive a lot <laughs> so during um during driving you know i i actually uh it is my own time i can just uh think myself uh and then uh just uh, reflect what i what i've been doing so that was really helpful and also now you know i've been working in the industry for 16 years so now i have a lot of um i mean not like i have a good uh group of people who's really supportive um, including my family, but, you know, people in the industry as well. So they're super supportive. I really owe them so much. So they're helping me with my idea. And then, you know, uh, I, I still, I, I, I'm still growing, but, um, you know, this, with this uh, people around and even nature around, I am, um, I think I'm managing it uh, pretty well. I really love that idea of your drive time as your own time. I remember when my I had six children, when my children were small, when I was in the car alone, that was my, my only time to myself. It didn't happen often. And I got some of my best ideas then. So I, I relate to that a lot. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you said you, you meditate, you take a half an hour every day, which I think is so crucial to our well-being right now. And I'm just wondering, what are you dreaming of for the future? I know you have children and you have Wyoming, What's your dreams for the next five years? Next five years. Um, uh, so it's related to work as well. But um, I, I really want to do something that, um, you know, uh, uh, meaningful for um, uh, the land uh, healing. Because, you know, nowadays the practice in the vineyard uh, side it's very uh, technical and it's very precision um, driven but I think it's more oriental approach which is you know have you done any acupuncture or um, you know more herbal medicine it is kind of general overall health of the uh, the body so I wanted to apply some type of oriental uh, vineyard a farming practice to the uh, Napa vineyard so that kind of try out uh, more, you know, approach to more uh, overall health than the, the, the pinpointed, you know, precise remedy. So I wanted to um, see if I can uh, create something in Napa with this, uh, you know, some different scope of uh, you know, practices onto the soil and land. And that's one side of it. And then, um, so another side, uh, you know, in Korea, there is no, I mean, not like uh, wine, you know, actually producer in Korea yet. So I can kind of um, uh, bring my uh, skill set or my knowledge to Korea so that Korea can have a, some type of their own wine as well. So I want to be a bridge between Napa and Korea somehow. That's incredible. I, I have to say I'm very fortunate to have a very close friend who introduced me to Reiki. Uh, so that has been something that uh, was useful to me at, at various times. And I like that approach to overall health. But 
taking it to the next level and taking it away from just humans and applying it to soil and to agriculture, I think could be something um, completely innovative considering climate change and the challenges that our, our Earth faces. I love that you're looking that way. And also finding a way to make wine happen in Korea is um, completely outside the box. And I really wish you well. I know that all of our listeners do too. I'm so grateful, Cecile, for you coming on tonight. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. It's been great. And thanks again. Thank you for listening, and remember to tune in next Wednesday when I'll be chatting with another fascinating guest. Italian Wine Podcast is among the leading wine podcasts in the world and the only one with a daily show. Tune in every day and discover all our different shows. You can find us at italianwinepodcast.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Himalaya, or wherever you get your pods.